Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by a returning guest. Uh, we love having this guy on here to talk cinema with us. It's your personal bracketologist, Jay Davis. Jay, welcome back to Affable Chat. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to be back. And we brought him here today because we're talking about Black Klansmen. The KKK is planning an attack. How do you propose to make this investigation? We'll establish contact over the phone. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face to face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. This is an American biographical black comedy drama book adaptation. Directed by Spike Lee. The cast includes Jack Donaghy, Ricky Jarrett, Senator Clay Davis, Robocop 3, Marshall Mann, Jack Gladney, The Other Buscemi, Liz Allen, Dr. Dre, Dr. Max Goodwin, Eric Foreman, and Harry Belafonte. I watched this movie on Netflix uh, using the standard definition package or whatever it's called. What does that mean? It's like the lowest tier of quality you can get from Netflix. And it was so bad. It it was actually, I've never been the type of person where it's like, oh, I have to watch it in the crispest 4K or whatever. It actually was distracting how they downgraded the quality because my parents, who actually own that Netflix account, didn't pay for the more expensive quality package from Netflix. So... Don't recommend. Uh, um, Joey, how did you watch uh, this movie? I watched it on Netflix like a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Jay? How did you watch it? I watched this on YouTube because I was also using my parents' Netflix, but uh, Netflix uh, decided, no, uh uh-uh. Not anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> right. I, I, yeah, I had to find alternative ways to find some of my movies. I didn't even know this was on Netflix. I didn't even check. I was just like, <laughs> YouTube YouTube was the fastest and easiest way to get to this movie. So that's how I watched it. And what a uh, movie it is. Uh, it's so worth finding it wherever you can, uh, whether that's YouTube or Netflix. Uh, before we begin our analysis of this film, we will succinctly summarize the events in our special 60-second synopsis. If you'd like to skip the synopsis, just scrub ahead 60 seconds right now. Ron Stallworth is the first black officer in the Colorado Springs Police Force. On a whim, he calls his local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan and asks to join. It's not hard to convince the organization to give Ron an interview, and soon an investigation is opened into the racist group. Ron is unable to attend meetings in person, so he sends Philip Flip Zimmerman, one of his colleagues who happens to be Jewish. The investigation reveals the Klan's political ambitions as well as their connections with powerful government agencies. Ron ends up talking to the Grand Wizard David Duke personally, and the two establish a rapport. Things come to a head when Duke visits Colorado Springs to initiate Ron. The ceremony ends with a viewing of the film Birth of a Nation. More radical members of the chapter are planning to bomb Patrice, the president of a black student union. Ron has been dating Patrice on the side, and she constantly challenges his position as a pig, or as Ron prefers, cop. The bombing goes poorly, killing the Klan members. Despite a resounding success, the investigation is closed. Ron and Patrice's relationship also fizzles out. The movie ends with footage of the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. The end. 
There you have it, the events of Black Klansman. Or as I prefer to say it, Black K. Landsman. <laughs> and, uh, Which is a racist person who only plays multiplayer games on his Wi-Fi. <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll start our discussion about this film uh, by going over our pros and cons. Jay, what did you like about Black Klansman? So I think that there is a lot to like about this movie. Um, I think that one thing um, is the performances. I think that everybody, no matter the role, major, minor, cameo uh is incredibly impactful they all do a fantastic job um i think that this movie states a lot of things that uh should be obvious um but are still very important truths um that about the world and about the united states and i think this movie does a effective job of representing a lot of those ideas and themes and i also think that it bends a true story to be a compelling an effective narrative. Uh, this being one of my favorite movies, um, I have looked into what the original story was actually like, and I think that they did a good job of staying true to the core message of the actual events, but making it an effective narrative. And perhaps most importantly to me, the thing that makes this movie truly sing is that the humor is on point throughout the entire movie. Uh, it helps facilitate an effective and heart stopping finish to the movie as well. So I think this movie is funny. I think it's effective in its messaging and it's impactful. I, you know, there's a, a lot, a lot of pros for this movie. Excellent. Uh, what did you, what did you like about this film, Joey? This movie is chocked full of emotion and righteous indignation. It's got some beautiful performances, just like Jay said, especially from John David Washington and Adam Driver. But I really, really like Topher Grace as David Duke. <clears throat> Personally, I think it's one of the most insulting things you can do is cast Topher Grace um, in your movie <laughs> as a character. Um, wow. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty great that he uh, as he is really good as David Duke. I think a film um, about something. That happened in the past, but it's focused on our problems in our world today. You know, this is something that's, this, this happened a long time ago, you know, you know, decades ago, but uh, it's been reframed to be relevant to today, which I think is especially noteworthy since um, Spike Lee is so, um, you know, he's, he's so uh, in tune with uh, race and how it, and how it uh, affects our, our culture. We, we watched Do the Right Thing um, a few years ago, and uh, something that really stood out to me about that movie was a quote from him from a modern interview when they said, how do you feel about do the right thing being still relevant today? And he said, this is a real indictment on America. And I feel like him bringing something from the past and re making relevant to the future is again, him stating that this is an indictment on America. What about you, Benjamin? I agree with both of you guys. This movie covers an important subject matter that's still relevant today. Uh, you know, you can even say that this movie was made today uh you know if you want to say that that just a few years ago is still the current time period um, but i think it's also interesting to compare when this movie came out to the current moment uh to see you know kind of how that has changed i also agree that the cast is excellent i especially loved john david washington and adam driver i also agree with jay saying that the way that they tell the story is great they stick close enough to the truth so that you can still say it's based on a true story but they bend the truth enough to give us a, 
uh, well something that should be a movie uh you know <laughs> so i'm glad they didn't like have some sort of strict adherence to the truth to the point where the movie ended up being boring and i thought the undercover aspects of this movie were very tense throughout i remember seeing commercials for this film and they kind of the gimmick was that you had a guy on the phone with David Duke and David Duke doesn't realize it. You know, he's like being, uh, they think he's white on the phone, but he's black. And I feel like the whole undercover to dual identities aspect was very prevalent throughout and uh, like effectively used. I always felt like something was about, it was about to fall apart. I kept thinking that they were going to get found out in one way or another. It's funny. It's dark. It's harsh. And it provokes conversation about film, police and activism and more. So a lot of great stuff from this film. So those are our pros. Let's move on to our cons. Jay, what did you not like about Black Klansman? So when I initially watched this movie, it quickly vaulted itself into, you know, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, I was actually a little bit more critical on the rewatch in preparation for this podcast, which I, you know, usually am when I'm, you know, <laughs> trying to critique something and you know uh, apply effective uh conversation i did feel like that this movie's a little ham-fisted the messaging is a little too obvious at times um i think maybe just because from 2018 to 2023 um uh, you know that's five years that we've had we've had lots of media that you know likes to allude to the trump presidency or directly reference it uh most recently the example i can think of is in the netflix series house of usher it was plopped into the middle of a conversation and it just totally took me out and so kind of as it's grown i've become less like tolerant of it um so i did feel like this movie uh, but I think that's, you know, sort of a retrospective thing. Um, I also thought that some of the actions taken by some of the characters, especially later in the movie, weren't really true to the characters. Not really any of the main characters, but um, sort of the, the the side characters all coming around to this uh, almost happy ending. Uh, and the bad guys, the actual KKK in this movie members uh, were a little cartoonishly evil on this rewatch, whereas I took them seriously a lot of the time. But then sometimes it was like, does do, does any real person talk like this? Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, it, it maybe it's just in light of. You know, again, being 2023, where I, I looked at this and it was like, you know, uh, we need to take threats like this more seriously. We shouldn't be uh, making these people seem like cartoons or not real people. But, you know, uh, all those uh, minor complaints in the grand scheme of things. All right. What about you, Joey? What did you not like about this film? Yeah, I, I agree with mo with what you're saying, Jay, for the most part. Um, there was one thing that really stood out to me that really bothered me, and that was John David Washington is wearing this pendant around his neck that looks a lot like a police badge, right? It's like the same shape, uh, like the same ovally shape, right? And it's like around a chain. And I've seen undercover cops wear their badges on a chain around their necks in a very similar way. So when he's in the bar with Patrice and he has this pendant on, I'm like, oh, so she knows she's a cop, right? And it isn't later until, it isn't until later that he's, that, you know, he's lying about being a cop and everything. I'm like, oh, I guess that wasn't a badge and I just can't see it very well. Anyway, that bothered the hell out of me. <laughs> like, why did they let them do that? 
come on, you know? I mean, sure. I mean, I guess it looks fine, but like, I, I just didn't understand what the, uh, like, so it's way too confusing uh, for me. Um, I disagree with you guys about it twisting away from the original story. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it, with the original like memoir. Um, but I do think it kind of does this movie a little bit of a disservice to have it end in sort of this climactic cinematic way when it could have been a more pointed like look at all the effort that ron starworth went through and ended up getting nothing in return for it right uh, all I, I i did all i took down the kkk and all i got was a movie by spike lee 20 40 <laughs> years later right like it's uh i, I feel like it, it kind of undercuts the main like the actual story when it's when you have a happy ending like this um uh, it takes away from the real lesson i think um uh, whenever I learn new slurs, I feel weird about it <laughs> because I love learning new words, but I don't like learning about racism <laughs> necessarily. So I'm like, ooh, uh, where, where do I fall on this? Not good, I think, is the answer. Um, and in 2023, just like Jay was saying, uh, I think it's, I'm a little unclear about what I'm supposed to take away from this, right? Trump as a threat to democracy or to minority groups especially black people feels a lot less a lot more distant than he used to you know there's there's a little bit of there's certainly like a remnant of him in today's politics but he's not a he's not as direct of an influence as he used to be because despite his running for president he's not president so i'm not really sure like uh if the lessons that i'm supposed to take away from this are are if they're too specific for its time period and they really translate to today, or if there's something more that I'm supposed to be gleaning and I feel like I need to be doing a lot of work uh, to get that, um, which I don't think is necessarily the point of this movie. So what about you, Benjamin? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that the resolution of the conflict went a little too far towards being this perfect ending to the point where it felt unrealistic and tonally just felt... Like I was watching a different movie. It, sure. it didn't feel like mm-hmm. this was what I was. What I was. We were I was towards. getting third act of adaptation vibes. I really was. Yeah, yeah, but in the <laughs> the worst way. Because I don't know, the movie felt so gritty and real, and the possibility for tragedy around any corner. And then it was like, no, actually, everything turns out perfectly. And even the way that they kind of flip that, and they're like, hey, it's not all fine and dandy. Where they're ending the investigation was kind of underwhelming and almost unexplained so i really feel like they kind of fumbled it towards the end and even with the investigation ending i feel like they missed an opportunity to make a point uh you know the in real life the investigation was ended because the uh colorado springs police department didn't want people to find out that they were involved with the kkk they didn't want the people to think oh no the cops are in the kkk because that's literally true but you know, you could have twisted that to be, you know, there's a new mayor and the new mayor is, you know, some like KKK guy or has KKK connections. And he says, no more investigation, call it yeah, budget yeah, yeah. cuts. But, you know, you, you can't even fight this from the inside because they're on the inside too. You know, something like that. There's an opportunity to tell mm-hmm. us something, but instead it's like budget cuts. What? That like, it, it was so like, I honestly didn't even get it out of the film that the budget cuts were the actual reason um you know that was i found out through research outside the film that it was ended because of like a uh public relations thing so um yeah i just feel like yeah towards the end there it got weird and could have like really stuck the landing and been great but um so yeah there's our pros and cons let's move into our overall section i'll pass it over to joey to uh to drive this section jay 
we're do we're you know the the listeners probably don't know this, but you are using this podcast and your friendship with us to talk about your favorite movies. <laughs> so, which, uh, by the way, I'm totally fine with. I think this is a great use of your time because <laughs> I'm very much enjoying it. But why is this, as you have listed here, number seven on your top 10 list? Why is this one of your favorite movies? So this movie, uh, it, changed me um this movie really had a significant impact in my life um it i knew a lot about like i are like i was educated a lot about race relations and like just like what it means to be black in america and i was taught a lot of these things you know i grew up in small town wisconsin uh not a very diverse area it was actually more diverse than the surrounding small towns but you know it's it's still small town wisconsin right and then uh you know i went to college in lacrosse a, a small college town on the mississippi river in wisconsin and i, I you know i never had uh like I, I just did not live in very diverse areas um but you know i prided myself on uh being liberal and you know voting the correct ways and being up to date on you know what's happening in america but uh i i didn't i didn't really understand it and this movie sort of broke open the empathic side of me of understanding or beginning to try to understand you know what it feels like to uh you know be black in america um you know i was educated and i i knew academically and i have a degree in psychology so like i thought i understood and but this movie made me feel something uh, uh, on a much deeper level you know it it cord through my brain to the deepest part of you know the part that is human of me that you know like likes to connect with people and and branch out and and the, this movie uh went, went a far ways in me growing um and i still like you know this movie didn't suddenly like in two hours and 15 minutes suddenly educate me and make me you know the perfect scholar on any of these topics but uh, it's uh, it, it broke open something inside of me that uh you know i'm happy to carry with me to this day that's awesome i you know movies are so important to me <laughs> so like see, hearing that <laughs> um you know you had this kind of experience by watching a film certainly makes me feel like this medium is it has the power that I always believe it does. Um, what do you think specifically, you know, like resonated with you? You were talking about kind of the emotional side of this as opposed to like the academic side. You know, like what does this movie do that like was able to re like uh, kind of pluck that string inside of you? Well, I think one one like example pretty early on in the movie um, that I can point to is when. Um, you have Ron Stallworth. He's in. He he's there to uh, hear Brother Kwame speak to the Black Student Union, right? And he's talking about, uh, you know, how society pushes back on the idea that black can be beautiful, right? And this was a concept that I learned about that, you know, Barbie doesn't make 
black Barbie dolls, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that you know, we don't, we don't create, um, you know, uh, bandaid companies don't make black band-aids. You know, it, I knew of the idea that, uh, systematic capitalism had you know decided that um you know black wasn't or could not be beautiful and i knew that but then i watched this movie and i felt like i understood that you know the slow fading in of uh black faces you know people in this crowd listening to this conversation and you know like that was when I was like fully on board with this movie because I was really caught up in that moment. There are several moments in this movie that you just get caught up in, you know, because of the natural charisma of the folks on screen. And, you know, that was one of those moments. And there there are several, you know, then later in the movie, you have the same black student union that's listening to a a story of a uh, just a horrific lynching. And I was just like i i i'd read that in a textbook before and i knew these events happened but to listen to it as a story told makes the world a difference um so yeah yeah i think that uh, especially that that uh um speech given by uh, Kwame Ture is really powerful i really like the way that um it's edited where you're you have him mm-hmm on stage and there's a there's actually some like jump cuts where like you're moving closer and closer into him as he's getting more imp- impactful with his speech but then there's all these uh cuts of just black faces floating in like a black void and yeah. for me it was like it wasn't until late into the speech that it really started to like kind of make me feel tingles and i think it was because i started like at first it was just faces that were in the crowd or like you know kind of young college age perhaps black faces but then as it went on you started to see different ones older people right um you know people that looked more worn people that probably weren't in that crowd actually or at least not narratively right but were still mm-hmm. listening to his words i oh man it really started to get to me and um especially when he was describing their features too right broad noses you know uh black skin and seeing that on screen and 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 then starting to question yourself, like, what is it about beauty that's, like, what do I think is beautiful, right? Am, am I being, if I have been conditioned the same way that, uh, that Ture has uh, indicated? Um, yeah, I think that's, I think it's really, really interesting. It's very, it really, like, kind of digs at what you expect, I think. And I think this movie does such an interesting job of, like, telling the story about Ron Stallworth, but also you know, piping in all of these other stories and these other things that are happening at the same time, right? It's supposed to be a framing of the, of the narrative of, of like the, uh, the world, but it's also a um, sort of a lesson in the Black experience, um, which I think Spike Lee is especially adept at, at doing. Yeah, I, I think it uh, it's an interesting idea that if you're not Black, you don't have to think about that much, is what do you strive for from like how you're viewed by society? Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, they just think beyond their immediate complexion and features to something more, I guess, uh, 
individual, right? Because sure. if you're white, people don't look at you and go, okay, you're white and also this other thing, right? They just look at you and you're just the default, right? Um, <laughs> and, right. but if, you know, a lot of times people look and, you know, I've experienced this myself being half Mexican. They talk about passing in this movie a lot, passing as, uh, you know, you can be a Jewish person who's passing as a wasp or you can be a police officer who's passing as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, you know, I, a lot of times, especially having a very white sounding name, I pass as white all the time, like almost a hundred percent of the time. But there are definitely times where people will just ask me, it's like, why are you Brown? You know? And it's like, Oh, I definitely feel Brown now. You know, that's like, you know, something that, but, and I think it would be easy to just say, Oh, well, don't just ignore people's color. Don't don't look at them and see them as uh, some ethnic background. Just totally ignore that part and just see them as a person. Right. And that sounds really great, but that's not uh, this movie's message. And I also think that's not really the way to do it. You shouldn't erase people's culture so that we can have some sort of kumbaya moment of like being friends. You should accept who these people are as different and celebrate that um, which i think is a much harder path to go down um, but it is ultimately the correct one yeah i mean colorblindness is become this uh you know this uh, not like a dirty word i suppose um it's it's a it's a it's what you're saying right it's it's to no longer acknowledge the experience of other people because the truth is that uh, being able to ignore race is a position of privilege that only people that have that privilege can can do. Right? If, uh, I really, really like this quote from Adam Driver's character Flip, uh, which I'm going to play for you right now. I'm Jewish, yes, but I wasn't raised to be. It wasn't part of my life. I never thought much about being Jewish. Nobody around me was Jewish. You know. I, wasn't going to a bunch of bar mitzvahs. I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I was just another white kid. And now I'm in some basement denying it out loud. <laughs> I never thought much about it. Now I'm thinking about it all the time. About rituals and heritage. Is that passing? Well, then I, then I have been passing. There are there are two gr- other groups that are prominently talked about by the KKK besides black people, and that is um, Jews and uh, homosexuals. And what I think is, ver- I mean. This is probably, you know, the top of their mind, but I, I don't know. I don't pretend to know what the KKK focuses on, but I, I think those are interesting uh, uh, groups to focus on because those two are the most, those are two groups that will easily pass as white, right? Will easily pass as uh, something that uh, is, it's not, it's not, it's not completely clear. It's not obvious uh, that they don't, they're not uh, part of the Aryan uh, plan. Right. So um, I really like this, uh, this framing here from Adam Driver to, you know, Flip suddenly realizes that he doesn't pass and that makes him suddenly so conscious of his own race. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get back to you, Jay. So do you feel like this movie 
brought to brought into focus your whiteness, right, or your race? Was that something that you were thinking about a lot? Um, you know, when you were having these more intellectual or academic studies, or was this something that came about later? It was something that uh, I thought I understood. Yeah. Um, when it, uh, I learned. In, in in college about white privilege and i even like tapped into a little bit of that during high school you know there there was a class where we were taught you know white privilege and colorblindness and uh ended up being quite controversial um at the time um that back in 2012 2013 um but so like i i, I thought about these things um but it it wasn't about myself uh it was more on a societal level it wasn't how does my you know whiteness impact uh you know just in micro interactions you know like what am i it brought into focus you know like what am i doing what am i saying you know making myself aware of you know microaggressions you know it's that microaggressions is a term that is quite academic i feel like you yeah. know that can a little, be a little loaded <laughs> yeah yes i would yeah i would uh, say academic is a good way good way to, to frame it definitely yes um and this movie amongst other things was something that made me actually understand what that means and because there are so many good um examples of microaggressions in this movie basically everything that the chief does is a, a microaggression and even the sergeant has a moment too where he starts explaining on behalf of ron stallworth and the it's uh filled with those moments um that uh you know definitely made me think about what i do and in, in my uh my my status you know in, in society for sure yeah i I mean, I'll admit that it's something that I have a hard time focusing on. You know, race is an uncomfortable thing to think about. And if I exist in a privilege where I don't have to, I have to concentrate on it, on it very much. And so I find it really difficult to stay in that space and to be aware of it, even when I'm surrounded by people of other races, right? Then I'm, I'm, sl I'm more aware of it, but, I, but even then, there's some sort of block, right? I'm still... I'm still under the impression that I can ignore it. And um, I have I, I, something that occasionally, right? Occasionally, I feel like I get flashes of it. Or I'm looking at myself in the mirror and being like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> but it doesn't, <laughs> uh, but I feel like it's something that the more aware of it you are, the more, you more to concentrate on it, the more uncomfortable you make yourself, the, the better you are at recognizing when you are doing something that's uh dismissive of other people right when you are mm -hmm. exhibiting a certain behavior that's uh makes other people feel like you think less of them you know and i i i constantly try to be aware of that uh, but it's something that is sort of bred into me and you know growing up in a very white area with a lot of you know going to a very white school makes it really hard to like know that's even important to care about um so yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a challenge, and it's something that I feel like uh, at some point in my life, I will get good at it. <laughs> but right now, I'm still feel like I'm not very good at it. Yeah, no, it's um, it's deeply rooted, right? You know, it's uh, it 
integral. I mean, you know, it's just like academically, you can think about how every single kid and every single commercial you saw when you were growing up or, you know, 90, 95 percent of them were white kids, you yeah. know, like selling the toys that you wanted. Um, but then like practically, like, what does that actually mean for your psyche today? Like, that's a lot to unpack. Um, so like it it's it's a long and honestly probably never ending process um but like yeah the, the this movie you know like uh triggered that and i i you know i i think about that sometimes um you know like the this movie in particular when i want to like uh may maybe not uh uh you know and end up like thrashing myself um <laughs> for not being a a a perfect um you know, a perfect ally, you know. Sure, but I mean, I think you just got to try the best you can, honestly, you know. Oh, oh. That's like, obviously, there's, yeah. no, there's no point in beating yourself up, especially if you haven't actually done anything wrong, right? It's just a, uh, right. it's just something to, to think about, honestly. And I, I mean, this is, a, this is a testament, I think, to Spike Lee and Black Klansman that it can give anyone this feeling and it's also completely accessible to people of other races. And it makes, it gives you a very, um, I feel like the the purpose of making you comfortable is is probably is, um, probably one of his better qualities, but not even the most interesting thing about this movie. So, um, okay, uh, what about the police? So Ron Stallworth is a police officer, or as uh, Patrice prefers to call him, a pig. Um, she constantly tells him that he's not, you know, on his, her side because he's a police officer and he's part of the oppressor class you might say um how do you feel that this movie portrays the police and you know do, do you feel like it swayed you one way or the other ron stallworth being a police officer adds a really interesting aspect to this movie because he is your protagonist he's a black police officer and i feel like that alone could be a really interesting movie seeing how someone <laughs> like dances that line right you know uh, but you know then this movie takes it a step further and adds this uh crazy premise of him also infiltrating the kkk uh but you do have this through line of him like jumping this line and and trying to navigate uh that part of his identity you know when him and patrice are chatting and going back and forth and he talks about how difficult it is to be split you know between and you know at this point she's not aware that he's a police officer so the split is you know between being black and being american you know and trying to hold these two identities within yourself and it it's it, it's really obviously incredibly difficult um and i think that this movie is trying to say about being a police officer that it is incredibly difficult and but i think the movie is also extremely critical of the idea that you know being a police officer that you're inherently part of a brotherhood right that i think that i mean they you know flip and buscemi um yeah you know are are, are talking about how they'll always have each other's backs and i think there's one point where the chief makes an allusion to you know, I'll, I have your back as a police officer, but not as a black man. You know, like uh, that's kind of what I took from one of their conversations. And, you know, the, the, that brotherhood is harmful to society. Um, but 
you know, that we need folks like Ron Stallworth and everyone else that, you know, took part in this investigation in real life um, to be, we, we need folks like that to be there and to do their jobs and to, you know, stop cross burnings and keep people from getting hurt. Because the fact of the matter is that we don't live in a perfect society where we can live without law enforcement. Um, but, you know, like that, that's obviously like the utopian goal, but, you know, right now it's a, necessary evil at least that's what i believe the movie's trying to convey so do you feel like um this is a hard question to answer i I don't have an answer to this question but (laughs) do you feel like um ron is more right or patrice is more right that it's that it's possible or or necessary to to work from the inside right to kind of cozy up to um you know the people that have been oppressing you and and hopefully change them or is it better to just, you know, oppose them directly uh, as like a, a, an alternative force, a dualism, you might say, dual power? I mean, as with all things, I, I, I think that, um, that there's no one right answer, sure, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I, it's, a, it's a bit of a cop-out. Um, but Pun-tended. I think that's, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that there you need a direct and opposing force you know that shows the 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 numbers and the amount of people that feel this way like a, the black student union represents and patrice represents in this movie uh but you also need folks that are like willing to or able to bridge that gap you know that are and and that's where like you know allies come into the conversation as a really important piece, you know, like that can take on the toughest and nastiest conversations and, you know, are, are a part of the, the development of policies and, you know, that can be a part of the inside because, you know, like I, maybe this is just my personal feelings, but like all out war seems like a less than ideal solution um, to anything literally anything uh to any conflict that has ever you know existed like you know we should as a human as humanity should strive you know to not kill each other if we can right and so i think you know like i i think that uh yeah there there has to be a there has to be an in-between you have to have all folks of you know uh from, from coming at problems from every perspective to avoid violent conflicts yeah, I, I mean, that's a good answer. I think it's it's yeah, it's, a, it's I, a really hard question to answer. Go ahead, Ben. Well, I think it's uh, you know really interesting to think about who is putting this stuff in this movie. Spike Lee has been very you know uh, forthcoming with his political opinions, and if you look at who he was back in the eighties when he made Do the Right Thing, I think he was clearly more of an extremist right not to put that in like a negative connotation but as far as the solution to these problems you could see him having more of the opinions of patrice as opposed to maybe a a modern day spike lee who's more of a moderate liberal who is going to look through look for that incremental change to these issues 
But I think that being Spike Lee, he's not just going to let go of those positions he may have held more strongly in the past. And he might even have this same inner conflict going on within himself, where maybe, you know, decades of being successful and rich and sitting courtside at the Knicks games has made him feel like it's not it's not something he wants to see happen, giving up all this stuff that he has, or even giving up the good that society does do in its current formation in order to resolve these, you know, centuries-long issues. But it, you know, like I said, he's not just going to give up his old position. So kind of giving us both ends of that and saying, this is the reality of the situation. Yeah. You, you know, see if you can suss it out, I think is, mm-hmm. is spot on for who Spike Lee is. And at the same time, we see that even though there's this constant struggle between, uh, you know, Patrice and Ron, as far as like their opinions on police and honestly, their whole opinion on the struggle of the black experience about the film they're still united. They're still able to both turn with their pistols drawn and float towards the camera in that iconic Spike Lee fashion, you know, united against their, their true enemy. Uh, I think it's hilarious, uh, you know, especially, you know, in the age of internet politics, Twitch political commentators, there is no bigger enemy for someone on the left than someone else on the left with slightly different opinions. That's right. So it's it's funny <laughs> to see that we have this leftist infighting going on inside of uh, this film because that really is how it is. But I think Spike is trying at least at some point to say, um, yes, that is a worthy conflict, but we can't forget who we're really united against and make sure that we don't let our differences stop us from confronting a, a greater evil. Um, uh, early in the movie, right, they bring um, John David Washington into the chief's office and he says, uh, you know, Ron, I'm giving you what you want. Um, I personally believe that the Black Panther Party is the greatest threat to America that's ever existed. Uh, so I want you to investigate, you know, I go undercover and investigate this Black Student Union, right? Ron obviously doesn't agree with that, uh, that statement. Uh, and he believes that the KKK is this, is the existential threat. Um, we see a lot of kind of cutting between these two like groups, right? You see the Black Student Union and the KKK and they're like the the way they're, that they're organizing, even some of the rhetoric is is somewhat compared. So, what do you think? There's he's. Uh, what do you think they're saying about the similarities and differences between these two groups? I, th- I think that the movie is saying that the difference between these two groups is uh, it, it's systematic, right? You know, it's systematic power. You yeah. know, uh, the movie very intentionally has some of the rhetoric be very similar. Uh, you know, like you're white power, black power, black heritage, white heritage. You know, they use these terms. And I think it's very intentional. Um, but, but then the movie regularly reminds you that there's incredibly different power dynamics. Um, the system and the history uh, of the United States supports white heritage and culture. Um, and with both organizations seeking to empower their people the difference is is that you know white folks have had it good for a really really long time um and you know you're you're they can get away with a lot more you know like shooting black people and facing no consequences um and so the these systems back 
white people. And so, you know, like uh, they, the KKK in the movie get so upset about, you know, their culture, quote unquote culture being encroached upon. Um, And, you know, like that's not necessarily false, but I mean, like, (laughs) guess what? You know, like it's, we're, it's it's not like they're trying to, it, you know. Oh no, it's tough. I <laughs> I feel like I put you in the hot seat here, Jay. The, no, you're, no, you're no, you're good. You're good. You're, I appreciate um, it, and I, I appreciate the conversation. It's it's saying that like, um, you know, like the power should just be equal. You know, all power to all the people. Right? Gets it reiterated multiple times throughout the movie, and um, you know, like it's just trying to take it away from you know the people that think that you're lesser than because your skin is a different color you know seems <laughs> like the absolute least that could happen what's that I, I we found this quote a while ago now i can't i don't know what it's from i remember finding it and realizing that it's been quoted and misquoted so many times that no one even knows who said it but it's essentially um uh, uh um equality feels like oppression um when you're in a position of privilege so, mm. I mean, this is this defines white supremacy <laughs> very easily, especially from the direction that you're talking about, Jay, which is like, uh, they were on top, they've always been on top, and suddenly that, that position is not as sure as it used to be, right? One of the things that I really, really like about this movie is its portrayal of uh, white supremacy as being a bunch of nerds, freaks, and paranoid weirdos. Um, <laughs> a tiny little bit. When uh, he, uh, Ron calls up, black Ron Stallworth calls up uh, Walter and he says, Walter says, you sound a little different in the phone. And, uh, oh my and God. he says, oh, uh, allergies. <laughs> and Walter says, oh, I get those all the time. As if, <laughs> as if like the supreme Aryan race, you know, the, the, the peak of humanity, uh, they, what they have to look forward to is allergies. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the other thing is, now, as someone who has been compared to Topher Grace in the past, someone who's who's someone who said, "Oh, you look a lot like Eric Foreman in that '70s show," I feel totally comfortable saying that uh, David Duke looks like such a little beta bitch when he's played by Topher Grace <laughs> in this movie, and I really, really like that. I think it's so awesome. Just like like he makes him look like such a little sniveling little nerd, you know? He's like a little snake, and like even when he's trying to be tough and be like, "What? Like, what did you just do to me? What did you just do to me?" You know, when uh, John when uh, Mm. Ron Sawworth puts his arms around him and takes that picture. Um, he, he he doesn't have a, he doesn't have any sort of presence. He's he's nothing. You know, you look at the comparison to like the Black Student Union and how amazing that speech was from Kwame Torre and how like impactful it felt to the audience. How well organized. How well like you know how uh, you know uh, you know respectful they were to everyone and you know all of that. Right. It felt so like calm. It felt so. Um, you know, it, it felt like they were there for a good, like a good reason, right? It happens to be a reason I agree with. But when you look at the white supremacist, you've got this guy, Ivanhoe, who's definitely got something wrong with him. You know, you got Felix, who's just this paranoid, you know, schizophrenic guy who's like constantly like twitching, trying to figure out what's going on next, right? These guys don't look like uh you know the peak of humanity they don't look like they're arguing for something good they look like they're 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 sniveling little cowards you know and um i i really like that as a as a way of describing the white supremacists of this movie because it really frames them as this insular 
um, group of weirdos, you know, that they're, they, maybe they used to have a lot of power, right? But they've never been that popular. Um, even when like, you know, slavery was, was, uh, the, the name of the game, there was still, um, I feel like the majority of people were not in the, the white supremacy camp, uh, you know, and in today and as, as this movie shows, that camp is full of all these people that you normally would never want to hang out with. Um, all these people that just, you know, have some sort of weird obsession. Uh, they're a bunch of uh, strange nerds who constantly talk about violence. And they're, they're not like this, they may have this, you know, powerful connections and stuff, but that's all it is, is these small little pockets that happen to be able to have, happen to hold some levers of power. It's not this, um, you know, it's not so much this uh, overwhelming, um, belief or ideology that the majority of Americans or majority of white people hold. It is simply the convictions of a certain group of people. Yeah, and I agree that if you're that the way you spend your free time is by getting all your like buddies together and trying to establish establish a white ethno state, um, <laughs> you need to look yourself in the mirror. Like that is so dorky. That is way dorkier than D and D. That's way dorkier than doing a movie podcast. Like that's what a loser looks like. If that's your idea of like a good way to spend your free time, I mean, just um, yeah, constantly talking about how you've lost something, right? Just constantly like, that's loser <laughs> behavior. To be like, oh, it used to be so much better. Oh, remember when it used to be like this? Oh, oh, I used to have this. I used to be able to do this you know like yeah oh they've taken so much from me it's like yeah i, I guess uh even if that is true um why are you still dwelling on it so much <laughs> <laughs> but but i do want to point out something i thought was interesting because walter is like the least cartoonish of any of these kkk guys um i, I would actually say david duke is also not that cartoonish because his whole thing is being able to take this bizarre worldview and package it in a way that is uh enticing to you know potential new members walter states that his uh you know wild pack of black folks shot him and then raped his wife and then it's just never really brought up again or addressed. Did that happen? Did he make that up for himself? Or did that actually happen? And then Walter was like, the next logical step for me is to join the KKK. Um, like, I, I just, I, I feel like, again, it's not really that important in the grand sco scope of things. You could just as easily hand wave that and say he made it up as an excuse, right? Or he took an unexplained occurrence. Somebody shot him and raped his wife. He decided it was a black person because he was already racist. He maybe didn't see them or whatever, right? Um, but I think it would be more interesting to focus on a member of the KKK who's there as a victim of circumstance. It's not some sort of like preordained hatred that he had born in his heart or even necessarily that the propaganda was really all that enticing. It was like, what are like the normal ways that good people become racist? Because then we can look at them still as people and maybe address the issue in a way that, you know, brings them out of it. Or potentially we can stop those regular ways, I guess, if you want to call them, uh, of becoming a racist from happening, right? You can address the problem at the source. Not to take total agency away from members of the Ku Klux Klan. Obviously, you have to <laughs> draw the line somewhere and say, yeah, you messed up. You, like, you're a bad person for joining the KKK. But I think Walter, again... If he was a victim of circumstance there, it would be interesting to, to address that and say, um, you know, how can we be empathetic and try to change the way that people are? Yeah, there, I mean, that's famously the way that members have lost, uh, left the KKK is 
Uh, I, I, I have to find this guy's name. Hold on. Duh. You don't happen to know his name, do you, Jack? Uh, I know I know exactly who you're talking about, but uh, I don't remember. Yeah, no, I, I think I've heard the story, too. Yeah. Um, Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis, yeah. Daryl Davis, famously, right, uh, has talked to many, many members of the KKK and treated them with compassion, with empathy, and has... Uh, had them leave the organization. Um, and he's been, criti- he's been criticized for his approach, but it's effective. It's really effective. And um, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting. Uh, personally, I think there are, there's like three levels to this. There are people that have, who are in the, the camp you just described, Benjamin, where they've actually been victimized by some minority group, and they believe that this is a systemic problem, right? And who knows what the actual circumstances of that is? It doesn't actually matter if it really happened. All it matters is perception, right? You believe it happened, and therefore it's a uh, it's a, a signifier for you. The other group of people are people that are just looking for some sort of community. Uh, there's this uh, TED talk by somebody who was in the KKK and or neo Nazi group, I believe, and left. Um, and he left. And he had joined originally when he was 15 because he came from a broken family, and he was looking for some some community he was looking for somewhere to go and these neo-nazis showed him uh you know love and showed him uh that like hey you can join in you could be just like us and he's like sounds great and it wasn't until later when he discovered more of the world that he realized that this was a hate group and that they weren't actually providing any of the things that he needed but you know he he didn't have to be victimized in order to to be roped into this he just had to be lost right which is i think a majority of the people online i feel a certain way about that and then there's the third group, which I would put David Duke in, but who knows for sure, which is, this is useful rhetoric. It doesn't matter whether or not it's true. It doesn't even matter if you believe it. What matters is that people will listen to you when you say it. And so what you, all you have to do is just keep saying it and just keep uh, making people believe that this is the way things are and that you are, you're on their side and they'll send you money and they'll elect you to office. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we under, I think we... We don't really appreciate just how pervasive that is, especially at levels of power, right? When you're when you're dealing with like a normal person that you meet in the street who's racist, you're like, well, you know, maybe something happened to this guy, right? But at a higher level, at like the political level, right? These people, it doesn't matter if they actually had any of these experiences. It doesn't even matter if they believe what they're saying. All that matters is that it's useful to them to say it. And so they will continue to say it. Yeah, I think that's the most dangerous aspect is the people that uh, understand this. That you know, the, the, that's why, like, I get frustrated when um, you know people call Donald Trump dumb um, because he's so clearly not. You know, he's <laughs> obviously very good. He's very intelligent. You know, and very good at taking advantage of people. Um, and I think that that's something that David Duke obviously represents in this movie um is the, the the political side of it of people that are willing to take advantage of people's fears right um that are are willing to uh grasp at that power and you know if you go out to the american public and you say you know like uh, the the most racist thing imaginable, you know, the absolute worst slurs that you can think of um and you advocate for you know violent crimes against a certain group of people, people are going to think 99% of people will probably think that that's ridiculous. Um, but it's the distilling of that idea, um, you know, and then you 
package it in with the fact that companies have been selling to white people exclusively um, for as long as companies have been selling things and being able to advertise things. Uh, and you take the, that people already have those ingrained beliefs and then you say, oh, well, you know, let's blame the immigrants, you know, for the societal like hardships that we're encountering. And then it's just so easy for people to fall into that, um, you know, and that's What's scary, uh, you know, is the, the people that understand the situation and take advantage of it. You know, that's terrifying. Yeah, but I think that's how it perpetuates, too. I think that is, that's like, oh, yeah. you know, I think it's more pervasive than, than anything else because they have the reach for it. Um, okay, so this movie is based on a true story, but how true is it <laughs> exactly? Um, <laughs> Jay, do you have any... Uh, any uh, anything to, sh- to share with us about the accuracy of this movie? Yeah, so I think I mentioned it at the top about the accuracy of this movie and that it's not very accurate. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think for the purposes of creating this into a movie, you know, I think Benjamin agreed with me. I think it's a good uh, extrapolation of the uh, actual events that happened and creating an effective narrative. But, you know, the fact is that a lot of these events just did not happen. Um, And with a lot of recreations, there's a lot of groups of people that are reduced to a single person. Um, For example, there were actually several white officers uh, that infiltrated the KKK as a part of this operation. Uh, Patrice is not a real person, nor is Flip Zimmerman or uh, the extremely racist cop Landers. Um, Those aren't real people. Um, The book itself actually... um, reads like a police report it's very factual um and the movie also notably reduces the role of stallworth in infiltrating and reporting on uh quote unquote uh, or identified as black radical groups um which he did for a couple years before the kkk operation came to be um which also brings into the fact that like he did not go from you know doing records the next day, infiltrating <laughs> Brother Guame's, um, you know, uh, speech and then yeah. the KKK the day after, which it kind of feels like in the movie, um, you know, like that's not at all the, the timeline. You know, he took several years and, you know, like it doesn't movie doesn't, you know, talk about his training at all or like anything, you know, like how that occurred whatsoever. Um and so, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of things that uh, just didn't happen, like the explosion. I think you mentioned didn't happen. You know, there's there's a lot of specific events um, that just didn't occur. But there is um, plenty of stuff that did ahead. occur, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, I mean, like Jay was saying, like uh, a lot of this stuff is like kind of expedited. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, and also the, the dates are kind of mixed up. Like the movie supposedly takes place in 1972, but kind of the events mm. of Ron Stallworth and the Colorado Springs Police Department investigating the KKK kind of happened throughout the 70s. Uh, certainly didn't happen this quickly. But um, <laughs> I liked the way at the beginning they say, this joint is based upon some for real, for real shit. Uh, because I feel like that's the the correct level of accuracy, you know? That's like the correct amount to say yeah. that this did happen, basically. Um, because the conversation with the police chief about being able to tell black voice from white voice, that happened. 
That was something that Ron Stallworth uh, talks about in his book. And also, he really did get assigned to be the security detail for David Duke when he came to Colorado Springs. And so, took a picture with him. And he, But he's yeah. lost the Polaroid. God. I was, I was like, Ron Stallworth <laughs> and, da- and David Duke picture. I was like Googling everywhere. I'm like, no, that's from the movie. No. <laughs> I can't believe he lost that photograph. I'm so upset about that, honestly. I really am. So, so yeah, like I, I think going back to our conversation with our pros and cons, I feel like this is an interesting enough premise that you've you've got something here for a movie, but uh, without the bomb plot, I feel like there's you don't have that kind of like action or the kind of build up that we're looking for that gives us a satisfying conclusion to our film. Now, the actual literal sequence of the conclusion, I think, is a little bit like goofy. But I still think you could do that in a more serious way and maybe have the bombing actually do some damage to somebody who isn't in the KKK in a way that you're like, dang, this is tough. That's like not good. Right. Yeah, yeah. But um, but, you know, so I, I think it was important that they did make that kind of <laughs> switch up. Uh, but <laughs> again, talking about how goofy it was when they did the like oh we busted landers for being a bad cop that (laughs) that felt like it it was a scene out of what would you do with john quinones where it's like (laughs) oh you have an opportunity to be racist in your camera yeah do you do it and then he does it it's like oh you caught you being a bad person cop you know you shouldn't be racist like ah i learned my lesson (laughs) you know like but uh so i felt like that really undercut this idea um of of like this stuff really happening and and seeming real up until that point yeah but at least it's wrapped up i suppose that's what i was thinking about it's like oh well we got rid of the bad guy i suppose um but yeah i agree it's it is really cheesy but again it would hit harder if they try to get rid of him and they couldn't he's like um this is a brotherhood you're gonna have to find some other way to get rid of me because even though these other guys hate that I'm a racist, they like love me for being a cop more than they hate me for being a racist. That would have hit harder. That's why the like specifically the the chief coming in and yeah. being like, "Got him, you're fired!" Like, <laughs> like he is Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah, no, like like just watching it like as that scene like totally isolated. I'm like, yeah, like that's kind of funny, but like. The fact that it took place in what like the last five minutes of this movie yeah. and how this movie actually ends, it's like, where, why, how? <laughs> yeah, like especially because it's like, did you get that? Yeah, I got that. Did you get? It's like, dang, this is a, a like you know afternoon cartoon sequence of dialogue, <laughs> not this serious movie I've been watching for two hours. Okay, so during um, Ron Stallworth, White Salt Ron Stallworth's uh initiation to the kkk um they celebrate by watching birth of a nation um which is a movie from 1915 so i I actually did a lot of research on birth of a nation it is considered to be one of the most important movies ever made uh, because it it like pioneered a ton of effects that like were not did not exist until this movie did it like close-ups um chase scenes um, large like uh, swaths of like um, extras, you know, the, uh, huge like sets, like all, battle scenes, you know, all this stuff. It's like a very complex narrative, um, and it was like the first ever f- like feature length film. Um, and it was uh, what was the other thing? Um, it's also the first movie to have an orchestra sco- like score attached to it because it's it's a silent movie. Um, it's also 
one of the most racist movies ever made. <laughs> like it's all about how the the KKK are the heroes and that the, there's mad mobs of black people roaming the countryside, raping and killing people. And uh, the Ku Klux Klan shows up and starts uh, striking the fear into them and, you know, keeping them from voting and killing them and lynching them. And it's all like, these are the good guys. You know, we should be doing this, all this. Uh, Woodrow Wilson famously showed this movie in the White House. It's the first movie to be shown in the White House. Um, and uh, in the r slash presidents, this is a constant source of uh, a sore subject to there because they're always asking who's the worst president. And they're always like Woodrow Wilson because he showed Birth of the Nation in the White House. So um, <laughs> it's uh, I've seen all these different um, uh, like uh, different uh, articles and things about it. Roger Ebert and a bunch of other famous critics are like, uh, unfortunately, this is one of the most important movies ever made and it is a tragedy that it is so good <laughs> it's actually it is a, really, a tragedy that it, it is gets a really well constructed movie and unfortunately it's very well made but it is unfortunately um, i'm forced to re- recommend this film <laughs> it is uh it is a tool for evil as um as he says um uh do i have it down here i think i don't um no uh it's it's very very it is a very interesting movie anyway it is also credited with the resurrection of the Ku Klux Klan. Ku Klux Klan has had three different iterations. Uh, one of them was, uh, I think, uh, directly after the... Um, no, it wasn't directly after the uh, Civil War. It was before the Civil War. And then it was... Uh, and then this movie came out. And then the, ne- the same year, uh, the Ku Klux Klan made a, uh, a resurgence in Georgia. And it, from there, it spread nationwide. And actually, I, I was like, wow, this movie really did that. And it's true. Uh, the burning of crosses and white hoods was not a feature of the Ku Klux Klan before this movie. But this movie had the characters who were dressed like that and burned crosses. And that became a feature of the Ku Klux Klan going forward. So that those <laughs> those parts of the, of the KKK were inspired directly from Birth of a Nation. Um, anyway, my question for you, Jay, is... Why do you think there are movies today that have the same kind of political or sociological or psychological effect that Birth of a Nation did back in 1915? And do you think that Black Klansman has any of that same spirit that Birth of a Nation had? So to answer the first part, no. You know, you just look at the evidence. Um, They don't know movie. Uh, at least that i'm aware of has had this much impact this would be a better question for my co-host eli i think you know about film history and about like films that have had a a similar impact but i mean just uh, i honed in on 2018 which was the year that black's Klansman came out and because i also you know in researching for this very episode i read a, a lot of the same things that you just talked about with birth of a nation um and i sort of tried comparing the two movies uh, numerically um like you said birth of the nation um it was the number one grossing film of 1915 by leagues and leagues um and changed the political landscape black Klansman, while an incredible movie as we've stated several times and we enjoyed quite a lot um it didn't alter the way that millions of people see the world or the united states uh it did not reinvent cinema in 2018 um and the movie came in 62nd 
in the ranking of top earners in the box office in 2018. Jeez. Obviously, we have many. <laughs> obviously, we have many more movies coming out in 2018 than we did in 1915. Um, but in 2018, uh, you had some stiff competition. You have all-time great Marvel films like Black Panther and Into the Spider Verse that uh, came out in 2018. You have Critical Darlings like Shape of Water and Call Me by Your Name. Uh, but in my research, I also found that Black Klansman falls below movies like Pacific Rim Uprising, Ready Player One, Rampage, and A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. All <laughs> That's movies. I, I was working yeah. in a movie theater during that year. I remember when all those came oh. out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you got some winners and losers there, for sure. Um, and unfortunately, Black Klansman, uh, you know, like... It, is one of those critical darlings you know people like this movie quite a lot you know like it's ranked well um in review websites to this day um and then at number one in 2018 uh you have infinity war which earned two billion dollars uh compared to black clansman's 48 million 48 million is around two and a half percent of two billion um <laughs> And that is just up for, for Robert Downey Jr.'s salary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was kind of crushing um, to see those numbers. And I can't sit here and lie and say I saw Black Klansman in the theater. I didn't. And I did see Infinity War in the theater. Um, but and so like I'm part of <laughs> this problem. Um, but like I, you know, like today. I'd go see Black Klansman. I would much rather see $2 billion be put towards a movie like this. But I mean, the fact of the matter is that even if Infinity War and Black Klansman swap places, Black Klansman still wouldn't have had the same effect on America that Birth of the Nation had. You know, like even if that were true, um, you know, the closest you get is uh, Black Panther, which is a a, a very good movie um, and made a billion dollars. I think it was number two in the box office this year. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it, it it's very uh, an empowering movie, but not necessarily as uh, critically acclaimed or as complicated as like the Black Klansman is, uh, which I think doesn't much, um, you know, is more effective. But, you know, so, yeah, no, I don't think it's as. But to go to the second part. I think it does, you know, like, uh, obviously, um, I'm going to decide with the Black Klansman over Birth of the Nation, even though I've never seen Birth of the Nation, um, you know, because it's incredibly racist and three hours long in a silent movie. Um, you know, my, my <laughs> there's th film. There's three, yeah, three big cons to not watch a movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, one, of the, one of those probably more uh, important <laughs> than the other three. <laughs> um, but, you know... Uh, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's unfortunate. Um, I think it has a lot of spirit. I think it has, you know, like, I think it's, um, you know, and it's, it's telling the, um, think that it embodies it for the other side of this, um, you know, the, the side of the discussion that we're having, but unfortunately it's just not the, it's not the same effect. Yeah. I, I, um, I agree with you. I do think it has some you know, there's there's something to it, right? There is this emotional resonance to it. I think it is a, a powerful movie to watch, but it's really hard for me to imagine something coming out that would actually have some sort of like huge shockwave throughout 
Amer like America or the world, right? The closest thing I can think of is uh, Avatar, <laughs> where it, but like it's it's not like there's nothing there still. You know, there's, there's people weren't you know pe people certainly saw the movie. I think a lot of people were affected by the movie, but it's still not like it, there's 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 no like impotence behind it. There's no like uh, you know action behind it. And I think you well, know, I think it's nation, I, birth, go ahead. Well, I think it's difficult to compare because Birth of a Nation was it's about <laughs> our nation so by yeah. watching it you're kind of almost participating in it. it it is directly applicable to your life so if there's something in there that makes you want to change the way you live your life you have an opportunity to <laughs> apply that uh what did we learn from avatar that pandora is awesome and some people would rather live there <laughs> than here well that's too bad that place doesn't exist you know um, well, there's I think an obvious metaphor between like the natives and like the encroaching forces you know i feel like yeah, but it's uh yeah, I feel like I, it's, but it's I, pretty. No, and I get that. I get that. Point. And I, I think you can learn that and agree with it. But I think it's, I think it's harder for people to apply that to their real life, uh, to make that like to change the way that they live. Um, same thing with Infinity War. And I loved kind of comparing Infinity War to Birth of a Nation. I think that's that's pretty funny to think about, like <laughs> huge blockbusters that like dwarf other blockbusters. Because like Infinity War's <laughs> message to me, I mean, it's been a minute since I watched it, is that crossovers are epic like, the only thing it made me do is want to do to collaborate with more people on podcasts so i can live out the same experience of having people from one thing be in the thing with other people from something combined so it's uh it's it's like it's almost hilarious how kind of empty that seems by comparison to this film which again i obviously disagree with the message of but it's so resonant with the uh the people the, with the audience um uh, and yeah i don't know if we have anything like similar to what jay was saying i don't know if we got anything like that uh that's really making that kind of an impact i think be, like birth of a nation it's it's almost like cool to say like movies have the potential to have that sort of impact but it's it's so rare especially only with how in the negative <laughs> Right, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, the the uh, I mean, there's the other the other advantage is that this is a this was a burgeoning art form, right? It, this like defined mm -hmm. movies, right, back when it came out, um, and it's um, it, it still did, right? I mean, this is uh, this is the truth of the medium is that it has this dirty, horrible history that in some ways still continues to today, but it's a um, I, I think that certainly makes a difference, right? I think we've been inundated by other worlds and by other ideas, to the, and and uh, we experience that so early on in our lives, we realize that there is no action associated with that, right? We don't have to do anything just because we feel some way, and in the end, that feeling starts to dissipate until it's almost uh, like a numbing effect more so than it is anything else. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, it is a little depressing, uh, but I don't really know what to take from that because I feel like movies today certainly have that resonance. They certainly have that. They can certainly make you feel that a certain way. I think Black Klansman certainly has a, a, that that part of it. But yeah, no, I agree. You know, like this is why it's one of my favorite movies is because it does have that impact on me. Um, you know, like. Uh, Everything I said has nothing to do with how I personally feel about this movie yeah. and how impactful I think it should be. Um, you know, like a, a film that a media that 
you know, comes to mind in having this conversation is everything everywhere all at once. You know, like I think, um, you know, like I was so, uh, you know, the movie like was a, uh, you know, indie darling that actually, you know, supposedly did well at the box office, but it didn't even crack the top 20 box office movies the year it came out, um, which was awful to learn (laughs) (laughs) you know because like everybody i've talked to really liked the movie but it's like go support these movies you know um in and get your get your butt in the seats and say this is a thing that we want because these things are important um you know movies um as a a uh, you know, using movies as a, a lens to see the real world is is important. Yeah, and I feel like everything everywhere all at once certainly rewired parts of my brain, right? And it's like a as a psych as a psychological effect. I think it had a huge impact on a lot of people, especially people that watched it. <clears throat> but it's um, but that's that doesn't result in things, right? Not not anything tangible. You know, we didn't start a fight club or anything, so or, or a bagel club, I should say. But it's not. Well, like, if, if you if you were impacted by that movie, are you going to go around like being a nicer person and be like, "By the way, I did that because of everything all at once." Like, I guess that's true. I guess you, you wouldn't you wouldn't cite your sources in that way. I actually, at my local grocery store, uh, somebody put little googly eyes all over the like uh the aisles like there's like uh you know posters of somebody enjoying like some cookies or whatever and it's like eight different faces across the whole store have googly eyes and i was like this is from everything everywhere all at once maybe it's not but i think that that movie has enough of an impact that you could compel you to go around and put those in random places that's true it's a very good idea you know spread a little spread a little silliness all around well i just i just don't know if I think any medium has the potential to have that kind of impact, but like the way that society consumes media, I think also you have to take that into account because I think in like the modern era, it's more likely that you could get some sort of like online demagogue like uh, Andrew Tate, who is able to have a message across multiple mediums and multiple platforms that resonates. That makes like a more immediate impact or even just a trend of some form, like a dance or a song or something that's easily consumable little bits over, you know, a long period of time, as opposed to having to sit through a movie that's two hours and 15 minutes. You know, that's that you could be watching hundreds of TikToks in that same period of time. And you, that's the, I think that you have to take that into consideration when you're trying to impact society. Uh, I, it's funny talking to people and they find out I have a movie podcast because then they're like, oh, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, uh, you know, and I start talking about movies and they're like, ah, I don't really watch movies. You know, and it's like, okay, well then movies. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. I'm not saying that everybody has to watch movies, but again, and you're trying to find the next big impactful piece of media, uh, it has to, you, you, the prerequisite is that the audience is there. And I just feel like, at least in this moment, even though movies were definitely back this summer, uh, it's just not that main one. It's not the next candidate for being the most impactful. I think it's it's probably somewhere found in new media. Lame. Yeah, and I think to <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> I think to, to bounce off that even a little bit, to take it even a step further, is not only you know are we changing how we consume media and the amount of time that we're okay consuming said media, but also you want to talk about bubbles. You want to talk about yes. like the amount of people that have never 
herd of black Klansmen, most likely, you know, that would scoff at the idea of even watching a movie like Black Klansmen. You know, like you, you want to talk about like, yeah, just the the amount of people that actually get this uh, movie that could impact their life actually effectively advertised to them um, it, because of the you know content they already consume on Facebook, the amount of time they spend lingering on certain TikToks, you know, the algorithms know if you're going to be a fan of Black Klansmen or not. Um, and th- it decides whether or not you see uh, a trailer or a hilarious moment from the movie and then go seek it out. You know, like th- that stuff is very real as well. And I think that's something that um, I think belongs as part of that conversation um, that you were mentioning, Benjamin. Here's my hot take. There should be less movies. There should be less movies. Mm. There should be less television shows. Um, there should, you know, we should, we should have like one a week. Maybe. It's a bold take on a movie podcast, Joe. Yeah. I know. <laughs> there, should be, there should be less of them. This is dangerous because if we start restricting movies, you know, podcasts are next. There can't be this many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the chopping block. Uh, I agree true. with you, though, as in that. some idealistic way. I think it's great yeah. that we have so much niche content because you can find exactly what you want. I watch so much YouTube that I never expect to meet another real-life person that has ever seen or, you know, interact with that stuff. And that's fine. It's, so it's sad, stuff right? that I like. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, you know, is it really better to go back to the era of networks where you've got your four major broadcasting companies and that's it we all have the shared experience but we all have to sit through whatever garbage they put out there potentially i mean maybe it's not garbage but there's the there's less uh you know there's obviously some great stuff left on the cutting room floor when you've only got limited space for broadcasting so um, you have you have the government give out movie tickets okay oh no the tickets are for (laughs) Like production studios, and they only they, and they you just, you just they just hand them out, uh, you know, and then you only get to make a movie per ticket that you have. Well, <laughs> Joey, the obvious like monkey paw curls um, <laughs> is the fact that like you're gonna wish for less movies to be made, and then they're literally just all gonna be superhero movies, right? Like, you know, like <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not gonna be like the the government isn't going to hand out one ticket to A twenty four, one <laughs> ticket to Marvel. You know, like they're gonna hand one to Leica, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like that's not how that system's gonna work. Like I, I understand what you're saying. Um I would love to know, see but, political candidates running for president, you know. When I'm president, only spy movies. Every movie will be a spy movie. Spy movies are great. No more of these liberal uh chick flicks, you know, it's it's all spy movies all the time, you know. I, <laughs> I would you know that would get me politically we're, active. We're bringing quickly. back Fast and the Furious, 52 yeah. Fast and Furiouses, just this year. <laughs> this is the year of Fast and Furious. This will save the economy. <laughs> okay, all right. Or move it up. <laughs> okay, Jay. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna you know we're turning this car around and we're we're, we're having some fun. No more fun. Fun's fun's <laughs> out the window. No. Oh no, Joey. Um, <laughs> This movie came out in 2018. It features a lot of direct um, references to white supremacy in 2018. Um, where do you think we've come in the last five years? Now it's 2023. You know, do we, where's, where's, what's the state of white supremacy in America today? 
Well, I'm glad you asked me because I'm obviously an expert on the topic, <laughs> Joey. Um, uh, as a as a professor in said <laughs> subject in my doctorate, um, but <laughs> okay, personally, as uh, a layman, um, like it's just a, a citizen of the United States, I, I don't I don't feel like we're in that much better of a place um, five years later uh, to give a. You know, maybe this is just anecdotal evidence and doesn't actually represent where we are five years later. But we are recording this um, on a Sunday and yesterday, about 24 hours ago in the town that I live in, Madison, Wisconsin, there was a troop of neo-Nazis parading through the downtown area around the state's capital and around the university um, at, you know, spouting their nonsense. Um, So, I mean, this is this is happening, you know, like this this hasn't gone away, Um, you know, like maybe in 2018 there would have been double the amount of people in 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 this troop that decided to you know display their neo-nazism or maybe the, you know the uh, there wouldn't have been as much um you know direct responses from the governor and the mayor and and the university that came out and condemned their actions you know maybe that wouldn't have happened in 2018 but you know the fact of the matter is that Donald Trump is indeed running for president again and i don't think it's unrealistic to say that he has a shot to be reelected um you know so i don't feel that we're in that much better of a place um yeah and 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 five years i have a, i have a pretty pessimistic view yeah i i generally agree with you um i think that uh even if trump's star starts to fade there are other people that have seen how effective he has been at radicalizing or mobilizing the worst parts of of America, and has um, I think they'll start they'll use that uh, to a greater effect. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you said that Trump is not um, you know stupid, and I agree. But his his uh, what's it? Uh, his incentives are a little skewed I, from other politicians. I think you know he but- likes he likes to be on television. He likes to, uh, he likes when people are talking about him, right? He likes to be the main character, but he doesn't like running a country. <laughs> At least that's my impression. <laughs> the other people, I think, could use that same rhetoric and gain his position and be far more dangerous and effective. Um, and all, it ta- all he's done is open the road for that. Um, and uh, I don't know if anybody's going to um, be able to close it at this point. So... Uh, it certainly seems like everyone has learned a lesson. Some people have seemed to have learned the wrong lesson, um, but uh, we're not in the same place anymore. The, we can't um, unring the bell, as they say. Um, the, this was something that I credit with my own political radicalization, uh, which was the footage from Charlottesville. Um, I was watching Philip DeFranco. I remember watching his news. Uh, YouTube channel, and then he talked about the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, and I remember it ruined like the rest of my life. I think <laughs> because soon after that, I started looking for reasons why this was happening, and I found them, and that sent me down a rabbit hole where I am today. Um, so, how do you feel about the ending of this movie? The depictions of violence as they happened, interviews with people that were there, and especially 
um, not just the people marching and shouting, uh, you know, uh, neo-Nazi slurs, but also the, the images of Heather Heyer's murder. Um, how do you feel about that as an end cap for this movie? I think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's shocking. Um, I, I remember the first time I watched this movie and, you know, you, you, you kind of get, uh, you know, from the gotcha scene, um, you know, a couple minutes before to this. Um, and I kind of got lulled into a false sense of security. Like, oh, it's a, it's an okay end of the movie. And then you have the cross burning and then the transition to this. Um, and I, I just remember it's, it's uncomfortable and it's unsettling. And I think that's the point. Um, you know, when they decided to introduce real world footage, uh, it, it doesn't, it didn't, that part didn't take me out of the movie. Um, but I understand how it could for some folks. Um, but all the movie following the, uh, you know, the explosion to now it, it kind of feels like this dreamlike state. Like we've talked about, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, kind of jumps from one scene to another kind of flippantly from the phone call to David Duke, to the bar scene, to the burning cross, you know, it's, it, it is a little strange uh, looking at it critically. Um, but to, to this day upon rewatching, you know, like all of that footage following to the upside down, uh, American flag, uh, you know, it still uh, sits deep in my heart. You know, as uh, uh, it's 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 unsettling, um, and I it's I think it's effective. What about you, Benjamin? Yeah, it's interesting to be watching this in 2023, where you know the Trump presidency is not that far in the rearview mirror, even though we're getting ready for another presidential election. And I still, it's like exhausting to hear about Trump. You know, after getting through four years of this guy being every day, I just remember somebody describing it's like living in the Trump presidency is it means like every morning getting on Twitter and be like, what did his ass do today? You know, like, cause, <laughs> cause you know you're going to have to hear about it. And it almost, at least in this current watch for me, just almost comes across as like ham fisted to be like, oh, Trump bad, you know? Uh, but if you look at it objectively, you're like, yeah, but Trump did a lot of the stuff that, or like said a lot of the stuff, like make America great again. And, um, you know, just is, is constantly doing these things that, yes, you can be oblivious and be like, he's just saying normal stuff. Or you can be like, they're clearly dog whistles that we've seen before uh, that took place in the same time period that this movie takes place in. Uh, it's like there's an obvious dot to connect. So it's like I, I understand where they're coming from and why you would do this and why it made perfect sense to do this in 2018. Uh, you know, everybody was obsessed with Trump in 2018. So it makes perfect sense to do it then. But watching it in 2023, mm. I kind of like roll my eyes a little bit. and I'm like, ugh, not Trump again. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm tired of this guy. Um, again, I don't know. I, I know that's probably not the correct way to respond to it, but that's, that, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, this movie's very 2018. Yeah, I, I was yeah. thinking the same thing. But I think I'm, I'm wondering now, like, if it will feel differently, like, 10 years from now, you know? Yeah. Like, mm. because, it, like, he'll, that event will be so far in the, in the past, you know, it won't feel like it's, it might happen again in the future, right? It'll feel like, uh, or, or, or like that exact thing. I mean, like, Trump talking, uh, like, in front of a bunch of neo Nazis in 10 years, he'll likely be dead. But it, it'll be, um, 
<laughs> it'll be in the in the you know in the kind of rearview mirror and be like oh wow like this is how people felt it felt it'll feel more like of its time whereas to like watching it now it's like well yeah but you're a little late to the you know you're a little late to this um yeah it's sort of sitting in this awkward space um like five years removed is not removed enough for it to be a historical thing right um but yeah, so yeah, no, I, is, this is the first time both of you have seen this movie, right? Or have you have you seen it before? I watched watching it, it for the podcast a couple of years ago, I think. This was my first okay. watch for sure. Yeah, okay. I was just curious. Yeah, I don't remember okay. when I watched it. It must have been 2021. Anyway, go ahead, <laughs> okay, so that is going to bring us to the end of our overall section. And we're going to take it to a break, but don't go anywhere because when we return, we're going to go over our cool Easter eggs and deliver our ratings. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. This is Squilliam Fancy Son from Band Class. And you're listening to Affable Chat. My favorite podcast. Good eye. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it, too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Daddy Zuko from Greece. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we're back with your personal bracketologist, Jay Davis, talking about Black Klansmen. And now we're going to talk about our cool Easter eggs. So I've got the first one. Um, I thought this was, this is relevant to our discussion on police, but filmmaker Boots Riley, whose feature film debut, Sorry to Bother You, also premiered in 2018, criticized Black Klansman for its political perspective. While Riley called the craft of the film masterful and cited Lee as a major influence in his own work, he felt that the film was dishonestly marketed as a true story and criticized its attempts to, quote, make a cop the protagonist in the fight against racist oppression, end quote. When black Americans face structural racism, quote, from the police on a day-to-day basis, end quote. In particular... Riley alleged that the film glossed over Stallworth's time spent working for Cointelpro, I think is how you say that, to, quote, sabotage a black radical organization, end quote, and objected to the film's choices to portray Stallworth's partner as Jewish and to fictionalize a bombing to, quote, or, quote, to make the police seem like heroes. End quote. Lee responded in an interview with the Times on August 24th, stating that while his films, quote, have been very critical of the police, I'm never going to say that all police are corrupt, that all police hate people of color. So I think this kind of encapsulates a lot of what we were talking about when it comes to Spike's perspective on the police and kind of extremist views versus this more moderate uh, liberal view. Boots Riley is very much an extremist in his views, so I think it makes sense that this is his reaction. Definitely, and I love Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> yes, it's a fantastic yes. film. Same. Have you, have you guys done that on the podcast? Yeah, we sure did. Yes. Okay. I need to listen to that. There's yeah. also, he has a television show out now that I think it's called I'm a Virgo. Is that right? Um, yes. Oh. I really, really want to watch. So, uh, yeah, so another one I thought was interesting was when the drunk guy, what was it, Ivanhoe, when he sees Ron as the 
police, like basically just a black police officer uh, when he was there for uh, David Duke. He says, America is going to hell in a handbasket, which to me was like, dang, I haven't heard someone say that since uh, I heard that exact same quote. Maybe it was this country is going to hell in a handbasket, but it definitely was hell in a handbasket, which is one of the guys that I worked with um, when I had a job I had years ago uh, back in 2015 on the day that the Confederate flag was taken down from the SC State Capitol. And <laughs> I, oh, I, remember, I remember when that happened. That was amazing. Black yes. Panthers were there. The Ku Klux Klan was there. It was a whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, when they found out that that flag was taken down, like like not taken down by like an activist, but like the the state government decided officially. Yeah, Yeah, and and he was like, "This country's going to hell in a handbasket." And I was like, "Dang, really? That's your reaction to this?" Although I wasn't that surprised because I'd already spent the whole summer with this guy, and he was very racist. He thought I was Indian when I first got there, so he was like, "What do you got for lunch today? Curry?" And then. I told him I was Mexican, and then the next day he was like, "What do you got for lunch today? Curry tacos," <laughs> which oh is is God. funny if you think he's trying to be clever, but he's actually just trying to be racist. Uh, there was a lot of like you know rough, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, making fun of each other is how we're friends in this office, and uh, the my the ones that were pointed at me were all about <laughs> my race. Um, so yeah shout out to that guy and him being quoted in this movie um, there was yeah, uh, yeah I, I watched this movie with captions and I think around the same time when the KKK are chattering that someone says in the background you know let's make America great again um, like that like was captioned in the movie I saw that I was like yeah cool yep yeah <laughs> so um, let me see uh, something kind of like a major premise of this movie is that Ron Stallworth talks to David Duke on the phone, but that famous scene of him saying, you know, I, you know, are you sure? Are, are uh, you uh, sure? Yeah. Um, that mm-hmm. never, he never admitted to David Duke that he's actually a black man and Duke did not find out until he was asked to fact check the story uh, by a reporter in 2006. So I think um, that's the right call, honestly. Yeah. You know, after watching hours and hours of kit boga on uh youtube <laughs> the guy who skip scam baits people he he's come to the conclusion that he should never reveal himself um and i agree i think it's uh, i think it's smarter not to um just because not just like a retaliation but just because it always puts the other person on the edge right they never know for sure if they're being investigated or not and they'll never know for sure <laughs> I did watch an interview with Ron Stallworth and Spike Lee, you know, from around the time the movie that came out. And Ron Stallworth did say, like, he he was asked, he's like, do you think that if this investigation had come to light, um, you know, or w- was allowed to be made public, you know, do you think that David Duke would be or the KKK would be, you know, in the position they are today? And he thinks no. Um, you know, wow. that if... It, it had been allowed to expose him, you know, that he made this uh, faux pas um, at the very least um, that um, he wouldn't um, be as powerful as he is today. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take from Stallworth himself. Yeah, I have no reason to doubt that for sure. At the very beginning of the movie, uh, we see uh, Ron Stallworth being interviewed uh, by two people. And one of them is played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who famously plays Clay Davis in The Wire. 
Um, and one of Clay Davis's signature catchphrases is she, which is exactly what Isaiah Whitlock's Jr. does uh, in this movie. And uh, as soon as he, I like, at first I'm like, I feel like I've seen this guy before. And then when he says it, I'm like, no, no way. <laughs> like, I got Clay Davis to say she in this movie. Hilarious. <laughs> Um, at one point, uh, David Duke is on the phone with Ron Starworth, and they're talking about this movie called Pinky. Um, I looked it up, and it's actually very relevant to the plot of this movie. And I'm reading, I'll read you the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. Pinky is a black woman so fair-skinned she was able to pose as white throughout nursing school. New, newly graduated, she flees south to visit her grandmother after a doctor, unaware of her true ancestry, proposes to her, unsure how to react. She looks to her grandmother, who warns her that only trouble will come from an interracial marriage. Pinky agrees, and instead stays to help her grandmother care for an elderly, rich, and fatally ill white woman. So, goes into the, uh, you know, it, it kind of uh, promotes this idea of, um, you know, interracial marriage being something evil or bad um, for both races. Uh, the person who plays Pinky in this movie is played by a white woman, even though she is uh you know canonically in the movie a black person um and uh you know she's passing uh as a black person or as a white person um in this uh in this in this movie um which is something that you know is a theme of this movie as well so i thought that was pretty cool they referenced it here the original rachel dole is all <laughs> <laughs> the original scarlett johansson <laughs> um Okay, um, that's all I got. Okay. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on Black Klansmen. As we do on every episode of Affable Chat, we'll now deliver our ratings, and we'll go to our guest first. Jay, what rating do you want to give to Black Klansmen? I give this movie Spike Lee unscrewing the top of my head and tattooing an upside-down American flag on my brain. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Nice. Uh, all right, Joey, what about you? I give this movie a ritual where we wear robes and watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that that's, <laughs> is that, that's essentially what this podcast is. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can't, see, yeah, what we're looking. You can't see what we're wearing, robe. but we're all wearing <laughs> we're all wearing uh, very specific robes. Uh, so, and do I get my affable chat robe after a certain amount of guest appearances? Yes, you do. I think you've reached the threshold, it? Jay. You'll receive it in the mail oh. soon. Yeah, I'll see <laughs> to it personally that your registration as a member is processed. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So is is it like a fifteen dollar chapter fee, or you know, like do I have to pay for that? I'm sorry, Jay, or? but it's actually sixteen dollars now. Damn inflation! Uh, inflation! Inflation! <laughs> uh, okay, uh, and finally, I'll give my rating. I give this movie one carefree night of dancing in the club to too late to turn back now uh, that that's that scene was Oof. awesome dude. i've been listening to that song yes. all week ever since uh watching this so uh, that's my rating so there you go uh black Klansman reviewed here on apple chat with our our guest uh jay davis jay thank you so much for joining us once again to discuss movies we love having you on uh tell the people where they can find you 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on the internet. Um, Super Bracket Bros is anywhere that podcasts can be found. Um, you know, that's Spotify, Apple, etc. Um, so right now we're uh, in between seasons five and six, um, but we have some. Uh, we have an interesting concept planned for for season six. Benjamin and Joey are both planning to participate, um, and it's going to be a special season. You know, we're branching out. We're doing something that we've never done before. Normally, we just talk about fictional characters from different universes getting together to fight each other in the theater of the mind. Uh, but now we are adding dice. Uh, we are taking Super Bracket Bros into the realm of live play and we are converting our podcast and going away from theoretically who would win to finding out who would actually win through the power of probability and the ingenuity of our players. Uh, so I'm super excited for season six. Make sure to stay tuned to the feed um, to know when that's going to come out. Uh, right now we're eyeballing a January release date. But thank you, Benjamin and Joey, for giving me the chance to come on Affable Chat once again. It was a lot of fun to talk about this movie, um, which made a big impact on my life. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you for, for the opportunity. It's fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, thanks for bringing it uh, with you, Jay. Uh, we love talking about movies, especially movies that are about important subjects. So absolutely a pleasure. All right, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Affable Chat. Joey, what's next for us? Next, we are doing Equilibrium. Yep, I'm sure. All, all this will out. make sense. Uh, 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 okay, nice. Yeah, I'm about, <laughs> I, I can't wait to find out what that's about. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, and our email address, affablechat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, we must secure the existence of podcasters in the future for Affable Chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.